The Pacific nation of Vanuatu has a long, rich cultural history and custom. Much of the island's history, the Vanuatuans have enjoyed plentiful seas and beautiful tropical diversity, supporting their unique way of life. However, this has been threatened through exogenous social, political and environmental forces. Currently, one of the greatest issues the Pacific island faces is the uncertainty of climate change, as well as the increasing frequency and intensity of disaster events. In the wake of these natural disasters, many humanitarian NGOs and intergovernmental organisations have provided various forms of aid to Vanuatu. One such organisation is Engineers Without Borders. Engineers Without Borders, or EWB, is a multinational organisation whose purpose is to create meaningful social change while solving engineering challenges. Their motto is technology that benefits all and has a large focus on inclusivity, thoughtfulness and equality. In Vanuatu and the Pacific more generally, EWB has run a number of successful projects including portable toilets and the tumble drum washing machine. This year, the EWB team has conducted community engagement sessions in Vanuatu to identify projects for the annual design summit. And I just happened to be fortunate enough to be one of the engineering and development studies students participating in this opportunity. As a way of culminating and reflecting on my experiences, in this podcast, I'll be discussing the project identified by the, by the Vanuatu community for our design summit group, and that is a footbridge. Now, before we go into any further detail about the footbridge, let's reflect on why we've been given this opportunity. We know that Vanuatu is prone to natural disasters, but why is a footbridge at the top of the priority list? Our project happens to take place in the Shifa province, located towards the southern end of the island group. This area is often subject to seasonal heavy rainfall comparable to that of the Amazon between the months of November and April. As a result of this intense rain, local waterways quickly become inundated. These floods pose a challenge to many members of the community whose primary form of transport is walking and crossing these waterways. One of the most vulnerable groups is children trying to access education and health services. According to a report by the Vanuatu Ministry of Education, 5% of the 334 survey responses indicated that flooding prevented children from attending school. This was further supported by a ministry representative our group met, who shared that parents, often busy farming after rain, do not have time to help their children find alternative routes to school. So the aim of our project was to design a low-cost footbridge that would allow children to cross these flooded creeks on the way to school or to the doctors. Knowing this information, how do we actually go about creating a meaningful social and technological impact in the Shifa province community? Well, a useful starting point is the Technology Development Approach, or TDA, developed by Engineers Without Borders. The TDA is a framework for equitable, sustainable and scalable technologies that achieve their intended use. For our project, we were required to undertake the first four steps, which were discovery, define, ideate and prototype. More importantly, however, we were expected to adhere to the four overarching principles which guided these steps and promoted an ethical, safe and effective practice. Let's start with our first principle. Focus on impacts, not outputs. Historically, engineering programs designed to alleviate various aspects of poverty or solve prominent societal issues have sometimes failed by delivering inappropriate solutions. That is, they didn't really produce a beneficial product for their audience. Bruce Walker was one of the first engineers to actually implement appropriate technological design in the Aboriginal communities of the Northern Territory. He began asking the question of how are they using the technology and why? 
rather than just assuming Aussie communities didn't understand how to use these devices properly, or in other words, to white standards. This ultimately led to the construction of many suitable technologies, including a hand-powered washing machine for remote communities without electricity. So we understand the importance of the first principle, impacts, not outputs. But how do we apply it to our design? During the first step of the TDA, the discovery phase, we attended some cultural and technical lectures, reflections, and finally, community engagement meetings to broaden our understanding of the humanitarian engineering context. More specifically, we learned about the importance of climate resilient infrastructure, the underlying social, environmental and political backgrounds in Vanuatu, how to apply the TDA approach, and what it means to engage in culturally aware dialogue. These informative lectures and corresponding reflections helped us focus on the effect the footbridge could have on the community, rather than getting carried away in constructing the best bridge ever. This was particularly highlighted when we spoke to the Vanuatu government workers, who were tasked with empowering women, people with disabilities and children. They encouraged us to consider how we can make the footbridge design inclusive to these vulnerable groups through both accessibility but also women's economic opportunities. Of course, there was a lot more we got out of the community engagement sessions. But let's talk about the second principle now. That is... Encourage mutual learning and managing ambiguity. Often in humanitarian engineering contexts, there are several challenges including resource constraints, unfamiliar social structures, competing interests and changing deadlines. Amongst this uncertainty arises opportunities for the local community and external partnerships to generate more comprehensive ideas, rich experiences and greater solutions. During our project, our regional stakeholders helped us better define our design opportunity and thus reduce ambiguity during the second stage of the TDA process. In particular, we were able to develop a specific set of criteria, as identified by the community, that our footbridge needed to satisfy. These were sustainability, inclusivity, financial viability and safety. In a little more detail, sustainability covers the environmental impact during construction, the durability of the bridge and its ability to withstand extreme weather events, as well as the bridge being able to be maintained by the local community in the long term. The EWB program manager in Vanuatu, one of our community stakeholders, was extremely helpful in providing technical advice on how the bridge could meet these criteria. He often referred to the structural resilience of the Nakamal, which is the word for community building in Vanuatu and coincidentally enough is our team's name. Next, inclusivity, as discussed above, ensures that people with physical disabilities can use the bridge as well as provides economic possibilities for women during construction. Financial viability is achieved when the bridge design reduces costs by using local products, labour and expertise. Finally, safety is in terms of the actual structural integrity of the bridge as well as the inclusion of lighting that would enable people to cross securely at night. Collectively, these criterions allowed us to begin ideating a few bridge designs in the next stage of the TDA process. So now we're up to the third stage ideating. What is our third foundational principle? Well, the answer is... Practice iterative design, systems thinking and strength-based approaches. Iterative design refers to the process of ongoing improvement through testing and evaluation through various stakeholder inputs. Systems thinking is the practice of broadening your research focus to consider exogenous and interconnecting influences on the final design. And strength-based approaches harness the assets of the local community, which can enable sustainable outcomes and empower individuals. 
Collectively, these three design considerations allow for a more integrated, thoughtful and inclusive final product or service. Systems thinking and strength-based approaches were integrated within our approach throughout, even down to our terminology, referring to the experience as a design opportunity rather than an engineering problem. Iterative design was most utilised during this ideation stage, where we were constantly improving on our final design. To help kick things off, one of our team members created a morphological chart with all the possible materials for each individual component of the bridge, as well as the bridge type. This enabled our engineering team members to visualise three initial distinct designs, which were a wooden arch bridge, a plank-style suspended bridge, and a composite suspension bridge. Next, we analytically compared these bridges through a decision matrix against our community identifier criterion. The highest ranked design was a suspension bridge due to its durability, safety, and adaptability for both the environmental context as well as incorporating accessibility measures into the structure. After being required to present the conceptual design, our team received critical feedback that suggested we incorporated more bamboo, a locally available resource, into the bridge's structure. So back to the drawing board we were again, and this time deciding that fencing should be woven bamboo. Not only was this more cost effective, but also required the skill sets of local Vanuatu women. This brings us to the final TDA stage we were involved in during the summit, which was prototyping, as well as the last foundational principle, which is... Prioritise inclusion for all, positive impact, community identified needs and interpersonal experiences. All these behaviours and mindsets effectively encourage participatory approaches and human-centred design. Alongside being increasingly favoured by the development community, this way of problem solving emphasises human commonalities and connections over differences that may divide us. I believe our team effectively enacted all of these values throughout the design summit. From taking the time to consider community identified needs like inclusivity and focusing on impacts not outputs from the very beginning, we satisfied this principle. This trend further continued into the final phase of prototyping. So how do we prototype? Well, to be honest, this is the part which was a little bit beyond my expertise. One of the civil engineers in our group used online software to build a 3D model of the proposed footbridge design to include in our final presentation. However, one of the greatest challenges was deciding how we would tackle accessibility. We knew for sure that the bridge would be both stable and wide enough for children on crutches and wheelchairs. The challenge was the ramp height and the conflicting problem of avoiding rising floodwaters. In other words, a higher bridge meant a steeper ramp whereas a longer bridge, and thus a longer ramp, would raise costs. Though we never came to a final decision, our team suggested implementing a simple pulley system within the bridge, where those with physical impairments may be able to pull themselves across. This allowed room for the community to make their own decisions on what would best suit their circumstances. Now, although this is kind of where our team's participation in the footbridge design ends, our ideas get carried on by the EWB program team in Vanuatu. So, it is probably worth discussing how implementation could theoretically work. Firstly, the community members who would actually be utilising the bridge would be consulted until a final design was agreed upon. During the summit, we were only able to access EWB staff stationed in Vanuatu and government officials as mentioned previously. This was due to a low-category cyclone that had passed through, which reduced the feasibility of locals to attend. Therefore, it would be essential that the design undertook further review. 
In terms of beginning construction, there are a number of challenges that need to be addressed. One that was brought up by the EWB program manager was bank stability and erosion control. Given the soft sandy soil types present in Vanuatu, certain standards were required to prevent environmental damage and the pollution of waterways. Already existing methods of controlling this included covering the topsoil with palms and avoiding moving large rocks present in the ground. Another consideration is materials and availability. In order to use bamboo in the construction, the wood first needs to be dry for six months of the year, which increases its strength and resilience. Given this tight time span, the project needs to be well organised in order to begin construction, not to mention the other materials such as timber, steel, stones and rope need also to be within the community or the island itself. These specificities were beyond the scope of the design summit's tasks, so it would be in the hands of the community to determine costs and feasibility. One other aspect worth mentioning is the total inputs the footbridge would require. For one, additional training of some citizens, as well as the coordination between community leaders, the government, users and the organisation itself would require many administrative hours. This is all before the actual construction itself begins, which may require builders, engineers, program coordinators, and those who supply and deliver the needed materials. Although there's still a long way to go with the project, we hope that the final footbridge allows children and other members in the Shiva province to safely access services when the creeks flood. By attending more days at school, students will increase their opportunities and enhance inspiration for future career pathways. Perhaps this will even have further reaching effects at developing community leaders who will tackle more technological opportunities down the line. The only perceived negative effect a footbridge may have is on some of the parents. These parents may prioritise work on substance farms and meeting everyday needs over education for their children. Collectively, however, this footbridge we have prototyped during our design summit will have a positive impact for the majority who wish to use it. To help ease the uncertainty around all the potential caveats in our design, I would now like to cap off this podcast with two different footbridge case studies. The first comes from the organisation Bridges to Prosperity, or B2P, whose primary purpose is to end rural isolation in developing countries. One of their more recent projects was a 100 metre suspension bridge built in the Paso Real community in Nicaragua. During the wet season, citizens in three nearby communities were risking their lives wading through waist-deep water. As such, the completion of this footbridge would effectively allow for over 19,000 people to access the regional city safely. So how did they go about it? First, the engineering team designed the bridge and sourced repurposed materials such as cables used in ports to reduce the environmental impact. The aim of using engineers to design the bridge maximised safety and durability of the construction. Local communities were then encouraged to participate in learning about the safety standards in construction, including quality control of materials. This knowledge could then be transferred to other projects around the region. The actual construction took place between B2P and other industry partners. Their building included steel pylons with a pin connection to the base. This pin connection was a modification to account for the local unavailability of steel, as well as a crossbeam and cable placement. Finally, the deck was added using the common method of cordless screwdrivers and screws. This would enable the community to easily repair the bridge if the inevitable broken plank happened. Once construction ended, four years after the project had begun, local community members now had a secure way to access services, trade and education. Although, there, although we have no post-survey data on the success of the design, 
I would like to suggest both a strength and a weakness from the B2P approach. Starting from a strength-based perspective, I believe the emphasis on safety standards, the primary concern for any construction or final product, was well placed. By encouraging the use of high-quality materials, methods and basic site safety, all stakeholders are more mindful of how they can be protecting themselves and others into the future. On the flip side, I think there are many, many missed opportunities for community involvement. For instance, there was no conversations about where the bridge should be placed, how might they include members with disabilities, and actually hiring local labour force in the design. Now this conversation bridges us nicely into our second case study in New Zealand as an example of maximising community involvement whilst not compromising on safety. The old Menagerie Bridge in New Zealand was up for restoration after standing for about 100 years. Given the bridge's long-standing connection with the local people, a great deal of consent was needed. Therefore, before construction, a program reference group was created to govern the project. The group included community members, some of Maori descent, as well as the Auckland Council and New Zealand Transport Authority. The group organised innovative forms of participatory design, including workshops in primary schools, family sessions, and interactive wall posters that allowed non-English speakers to voice their opinions. These participants were also notified of the fixed safety parameters they could not influence in the design. As a result of this consultation, a number of communities identified elements were incorporated into the design, including the widening of the bridge and addition of rubbish bins for fishermen. The constructors of the bridge, the Transport Authority, even highlighted how this early engagement allowed for, more, for a more refined conceptual design to be fast-tracked down the line. By identifying problems before they occur, they additionally save both time and money, an ideal that transcends all projects. So as you can see from each of these case studies, community involvement in footbridge design and or construction process can lead to a more engaging, effective and beneficial solution. This element is something we also tried to replicate in our design summit. During the community engagement sessions and more broadly is something that the EWB strives towards in a humanitarian engineering practice. As mentioned earlier, we still do not know what will become of our footbridge design but our team remains hopeful that we will contribute towards a positive impact in the Shifa province community. As a final note, I would like to pay tribute to the Vanuatu National Anthem you heard in the beginning of this podcast. Yumi, yumi, yumi. We are, we are, we are. Talks of coming together despite our many different ways and working together. This is what we need not only for humanitarian engineering, but to solve the greatest problems we face today. By gathering together and using each of our strengths in unison, we can build a better tomorrow for all.